Hello, this is Michael Stone, the host of We Earth Radio, where we have conversations that make a difference. We're committed to bringing you leading edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, conscious evolution, and spiritual fulfillment. In our programs, we look for positive solutions to local and global issues that leave you touched, moved, and inspired to action. Our weekly guests include local and global experts and concerned citizens working together to heal the wounds that separate, alienate, and marginalize people. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to We Earth Radio, where we have conversations that make a difference. And I am so excited to have my dear friend Heather Ashamara on today. She is the author of the best-selling Warrior Goddess Training Series, The Seven Secrets to Happy and Healthy Relationships, which she wrote with Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. and The Warrior Heart Practice. Heather Ash is dedicated to inspiring depth, creativity, and joy by sharing the most potent tools from a variety of world traditions. She studied and taught extensively with Don Miguel Ruiz, author of The Four Agreements, and continues to teach with the Ruiz family. Raised in Southeast Asia, Heather Ash has traveled the world from childhood and is continually inspired by the diversity and beauty of human expression and experience. She brings this open-hearted, inclusive worldview to her writing and teaching, which are a rich blend of Toltec wisdom, European shamanism, and Buddhism. Heather Ashamara, my dear, how are you? Good, Michael. So good to be here with you, (laughs) waving from the United States. What a show down there. I almost feel like the U.S. is on its way to being a third world country, as we were talking about earlier. But God, it's so divisive and, and so much alienation and anger. Let's talk about that in terms of what does life want? We're all in this little story here, this drama of politics, and, and yet it has such huge impact on the earth and on people's lives and livelihood. So let's get into that a little bit. What's your, what's your take about what's being called from the future, I think, is a way to start that. Mm, such a beautiful question. For me, I always go back to how do we show up with what's arising now? And in order to do that the most effectively, we have to know where we've been, but not be attached to it. Mm -hmm. We want to be clear about where we're going, but not be attached to it. (laughs) And to then stay absolutely present in this moment and listen for what's the next step. Mm. Yeah, it's brilliant. I love that. Showing up. That's a really interesting issue. You and I both know from our work with people in the many years of coaching, supporting, training, most people, first of all, aren't fully in their body. Secondly, more and more people are numb to their emotions. And thirdly, they're pretty much lost in their head, in the story. I don't mean particularly anyone, but I mean, as a culture, we're kind of lost. So, Where do we go to show up when we're not here? We are so 
trained right now, and it really is kind of a training to distract ourselves, like you're saying, and to have our attention be hooked by things outside of us. Mm-hmm. And that, that place where what I, how I think about it is the dream of the planet, the way that all humans are dreaming now, which is basically in fear. If you look at any five o'clock news, major newspaper, what's reflected back is constantly fear scarcity, because that's what humans respond to the most at this time. I don't think that's our natural state, but it's really easy to hook a human, especially right now, by fear. And as humans in this time, it's really our responsibility to decide over and over again, where do I want to put my attention? Where do I want to put my energy? And we can live our lives being basically manipulated by the outside world or surrendering up our own agency so that we do what we think we're supposed to do or or what we're being told to do, whether that's conscious or unconscious. Or we can make the choice of, I want to fully live my life. I want to stop distracting myself. I want to stop avoiding. I want to land in the center of this being that I am, this precious being that I am, and have choice. Yeah. And that choice then gives us the capacity to connect with our own inspiration, our own creativity, our own sense of joy, and be able to... I always think about it that I want to be able to make decisions from my inspiration and my presence rather than from my past and fear. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. Now, when I'm listening to the listening of the audience a little bit and tuning in, particularly in the first part you said, what I notice is that we're far more focused on what we don't want than what we do want. And that, perhaps one of the things that we need to focus on is the question of what's essential. You know, we're born in spite of what uh, the Catholic Church and St. Augustine say about original sin and that we're born bad. When I look at a baby, I have no evidence of that we're born bad, that in fact, I would say that we're born with original goodness, not original sin. But through many things that we can talk about on this show, Uh, soul loss and dissociation and cultural and generational trauma certainly have a big part of that. And that's a response to fear, as you were saying earlier. But just to begin with, you asked a question that I loved. Uh, You were saying, well, let's talk about aligning with life. Well, let's see how that lines up with What's essential for us? What is it that's really, if we were going to die this week, what would we make sure that we did? And to be in that relationship all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which is, you said, presence, which is presencing. The term I use in my particular model, the first step is zooming in on where we actually are, on presencing, you know, what's happening and not what's happening in our head or our perception of the world. We think that our perception 
is reality, but actually reality is our perception. So to begin to question, how am I perceiving the world and what's the lens that I'm looking at, even to find what's essential, I think is an important aspect of that. Absolutely. And to find, I, I think about this is that what we're moving towards, because I think there are different stages, that one of the first stages is around self-intimacy, mm-hmm. getting to know who we are, getting to know our emotional body, our physical body, our energetic body, and our mental body. And we tend to put our focus on the mind, what, what's my mind up to, and discount or repress or ignore or dramatize our emotions, our relationship to our physical body and our energy. And so to make that commitment to ourself that we're willing to be with who am I, that question, which is the beginning of what you're saying about finding what's the essence. Yeah. I think for many of us, even before we have that question of what's the essence, it's who am I now? And to let go of who do I wish I was? Who do I think I'm supposed to be? And to settle into that curiosity. Who am I now? What's my relationship with my emotional body? Because you're in relationship with your emotional body. You're in relationship with your physical body. You're in relationship with your energy. And you're also in relationship with your mind. You're not your mind. And that's where often we, especially in the Western world, we've confused our thoughts with our essence, (laughs) with who we really are. And the mind is a tiny part of who we are. And it's not really a helpful part of who we are right now for many of us, because it's constantly judging us, comparing us, freaking out about what might happen in the future, worrying about what happened in the past, or feeling victimized by the world. Mm. And so and to come into right relationship with the mind is, and all the parts of ourselves is really critical. Yeah. And it's not even the mind. It's because that's the physiology in a sense. It's the story because we live inside of a story and a narrative that is who I consider myself to be, how I interact inter- in the world. And it's like you were saying, I have a story I have this mind that creates story and, and we can get into talking about how it gets created, but, but like I have a hand, but I'm not my hand. I have a story and I'm not my story. And so to, to really go into this question, the ancient question of who am I as a constant questioning and really realign ourselves with the neglected part, because for most of us, the mind has had a coup over the heart. The heart is really the strongest organ and uh, electromagnetically is like 5,000 times more powerful than the mind. And yet somehow we've had a coup here and the mind has taken over the heart and the heart and the emotions and the physical body have become servants to the mind rather than becoming aware of the body and servants to the heart. So this question really, did you know the Ridwan school? Did you ever do anything with them? Mm-hmm. Ridwan school was a school that they, they took questions like this and you would sit for hours and repeat it back. You know, who are you? Oh, I'm this. Who are you? I'm that, you know, and you would just do that. And it's amazing what happens when you have a question 
you know, it's it's like um, Rilke, the the uh, letters to an artist that don't try to answer the question, live into the question, and then perhaps someday you'll find the answer. But the importance is not closing it down. It's like you know, we when we name something, we go from a wave of all potentiality to a particle, and and then we freeze that particle in time and space. If we can ask that as an open question, then we're constantly generating this moment now rather than being concerned about the remembered past and the imagined future, which don't even exist because they all are in the, the present. The, the presence, the, the, the past is just frozen past in our body in the present. And the imagined future is is a story that we make up, but it's always in the present that that's being happening. Absolutely. And the present is going to contain discomfort, conflict, joy, grief, Mm -hmm. you know, confusion. Yeah. And I love what you're saying is that it's, it's not about the fixed, I'm going to be in the now and it's going to be fixed, or I'm going to understand who I am and it's going to stay that way for the rest of my life. Like it's this, it's a wave. And so for me, the question is, you know, it starts off with who am I now? And that we start, we go through the layers of what's my relationship with these different aspects of myself and learning how to witness, which I know is both core for both of us in our work, is that we, we learn how to witness ourselves with love, with compassion, with empathy of this human that has a, a lot of training, domestication, trauma, generational trauma, that we carry all of it, but that we don't have to carry any of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we not only don't have to carry it, we actually need to integrate it, which is is the aspect. And when you say, I just have to jump on that because you're saying about the discomfort. When I teach meditation workshops, invariably, somebody will say something like, you know, Michael, I used to be so good at meditating. I did this, you know, 10 years ago and everything was positive and serene and I felt so good afterwards. And now I sit down on the mat and just wild stallions are running through my head and my body's shaking and I have all this stuff and I want to get back to where I was. No, you don't want to get back to where you were. You've already done that. Those things that are coming up that are uncomfortable are portals to the very essence that we're looking to have. So if we can lean into them, like you say, witness them, the same term I use in in the work that I do, we become witness and who's witnessing? That's consciousness itself, because you can witness yourself. So are you two people? No, you're become a witness to that. And in that, those parts that are frozen parts of ourselves, the unintegrated fragmented parts from our life now, from our family and from our ancestors and from our culture are all, we're carrying those. And it takes a lot of energy to keep all those things down in the unconscious. So 
when a discomfort comes up, it's like, can I lean into it? Can I love my discomfort right now? Can I really explore it and see, oh, there's jewels in here. There's just vast treasures inside this discomfort. If I can actually go in and focus, inner focus, inner presence, you know, it's not just the outer world, it's the interiority that we need to be responding to now to transcend the huge myth of separation that we're all living inside of that there there's you know we're always othering there's those people and then there's our people or there's me and there's you and i would say that the the vast majority if not all all suffering on the planet is born of this false belief this lie in separation and the way that we've really separated from ourselves yeah which then causes us to separate from others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's a journey. It's not, you know, I just need to do this one or two things and then that'll fix it and then I'll be done. (laughs) It's that, that realization. I think that on the spiritual path or on the healing path, one of the biggest turning points Mm -hmm. is when we really begin to understand. And I think this is true for everything. I need to become sustainable in my relationship to the journey in my inner world and the journey in the outer world. Because I'm a firm believer in that we want to be doing both. We want to be cleaning up and clearing and healing our inner, the beliefs, the agreements, the places that we're carrying, the hurt, that we're learning how to stay steady with ourselves, not abandon ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that that is such a beautiful journey. And it's a journey. It's going to take time. And so how do we become sustainable for that journey? How do we have great patience, great perseverance, great compassion for ourselves and let go of, I need to fix it now. Let go of, I'm broken. Let go of, I'm going to compare myself to everyone else instead of doing my own healing work and really settle into, I'm with myself in the long haul. Yeah. And to do the same thing in relationship to the world. That there is particular, I believe that we are here in community, in community with with humans, with life, with nature, with the earth, and communion. And that our work is also to really deeply listen, what is our gift to give? Mm -hmm. How do we be in service? And that also needs to be sustainable over time. So much in what you said. Uh, let's see, which, which place shall I go here on this is interesting? Let's talk about time because we have this focus of time being a linear or chronological movement from birth to death, from past to future. And that isn't necessarily t- the real time. That's a, that's a, a construction that we have because when we, you know, you, you say it takes time, it does, but when you get to there, it's always here. There's nowhere really to get to. You know? The Greeks have a wonderful uh, three different words for time. They have chronos, which is chronological time. That means what, how we normally think of time. Then they have time, which is kairos, And Kairos is an interesting uh, conception. 
Kairos is more like the right time, like the fruit is ready to be picked. Or when, when I talk about the emergent future, often I'm talking about that Kairos time. Like if you get really still and you listen, you will know exactly what the future, what needs to happen to to be present in the future in, in this time. And then the third one is Eon, which is like the whole sea that time, you know, the waves are the uh, events that are happening and moving, but there's the, the, the time is all time. Or in physics, it's time is not separate from space. You have space time, there's no separation, it's space time. Space are the three legs and the fourth leg is time of how to perceive an unfolding world that is unfolding within itself and where, you know, we have an opportunity there. One of the things that I was just thinking of as I was saying that, to go back to what you said earlier, there's a thing called the Gestalt theory of change. And that says just exactly what you were saying, that you don't change by being someone you're not. You only change by being who you are now. And when you do that, the conditions for change are available so that change can happen. Instead of being out in front of the train, you're, you are the train, and then you, you really work with what's present there. Well, that puts us into this Kairos time then, because if we can still ourselves enough, if we can open ourselves and be, uh, be uh, congruent in our mind and our heart and our body, like we're talking about finding inner congruency, then the future comes out of this moment by being still enough to know exactly what's going to happen. Like if I plan out how I'm going to be with you and I have a checklist, oh yeah, be loving, be kind, uh, be, you know, be present. I'm not there. I'm in my checklist. But if you and I come on here together and we do a show, we don't have any idea what we're going to talk about. But when we connect with each other, something comes out of that that's bigger than either one of us. If that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And this idea of aligning with life is to get away from the linear thinking that many of us are trained in. If I do this and this and this, this will happen. If I'm good, then I'll be liked. If I follow the rules, then I won't get in trouble. And all of that is an illusion. You know, I remind people really linear thinking is great if you're doing Excel spreadsheets and programming computers, okay? And very few other places. What, what's true about life is life runs in cycles. And when we can learn to hold all the cycles inside of us, that there's beginnings and endings, there's birth and there's death, that there's this incredible flow of energy. And, and I love what you were saying about the, the time and the different ways of seeing time is when we get out of this line thinking mm -hmm. and step into in this moment, all time is happening. Yeah. The past is present and ready to be healed. The future is present 
everything can change in an instant is the truth. And nothing may change. <laughs> How to hold both. And I feel like that's what my work with myself and with the people that I get to play with is, is how do we show up in the world so that we're absolutely present and grounded and open to what life is bringing? Yeah. And there's this mm, paradox of being completely present in that surrendered, I don't know what's going to happen. And also knowing where you want to put your energy and your focus, but that putting your energy in your focus, where we get ourselves in trouble so often that I see is we get become fixated. It has to be like this. This is what's supposed to happen. And we start trying to control. And again, that's really going back into linear thinking. Mm -hmm. Like this is what's supposed to be happening in the world. To, to learn how to go, I don't know. Hmm. I have a preference. I have a desire. And I don't know. And to hold both in equal measure. Yeah. Yeah. Is what not, we're learning to do. Yeah. Not knowing is such a powerful place to stand in, which very few people are willing to be with the kind of vibration of not knowing. You know, because it means that we're out of control and, and so much of this tension that we feel is people want to be in control. They want to hold on to something that they know. But as you say, there's no certainty about being in control. But that is born from this Cartesian Newtonian mechanistic perspective that who we are, are objects in a world of objects, and we're separate. But in reality, from a physics perspective, it looks like I'm over here in Canada, and you're in Arizona, I mean, New Mexico, uh, right now. And it looks like, oh, she's out there, even on the computer. She's out there, and I'm over here. But really? Well, yeah, that's one way to look at it. But then to look at it from a more quantum perspective, no, you're showing up over here in my nervous system and I'm showing up over there in your nervous system. Now, what happens to when I can actually be that present with you, recognizing myself, seeing you, seeing me, seeing you? I mean, that could sound like double talk if people are listening to this, but at the same time, think about it. If when you try that and you start to practice that, I know from my classes and workshops, people begin to not only really connect and co-regulate the ups and downs that are that they're going through, but they begin to feel the feelings that the other person is feeling. They begin to be able to, feel the physical and emotional things that are going on with the other person by being in a deep state of presence. One of the things that keeps us from that, I, I had to laugh. I was teaching my advanced uh, class yesterday uh, uh, on um, trauma integration. And one of the people that's been in my class for quite a while says, you know, 
I, I really don't think I ever had any trauma. And so I'm not sure if I want to do this work anymore. We've been six months together in this group, right? I don't think I want to do this work anymore. And I realized, hmm, I don't think I gave this trauma thing a proper context. Uh, if he's thinking of I'm not someone who's had trauma in his life, which first of all is nearly, I can't even imagine that that's possible that, you know, there's always trauma, especially early on when, you know, dad's busy or mom's busy and I'm exploring and all of a sudden there's nobody there, you know, but even if that were true, we live in a sea of trauma. Yeah. And what is trauma? Trauma is something that was your, your nervous system recognized that there was a threat to your survival and you shut down a part of yourself. Basically, soul loss is what we call it in shamanism, dissociation in psychology, but that we push some part of us down, we hold some part of us down so that we can go on. So it's not that something's wrong, it's something that's very right. There's nothing broken. It's like I have an, an intelligent nervous system that knew that there was a threat to my survival and it shut that part of me down. Unfortunately, we don't have rites of passage or initiation or gatherings where everyone comes together and nourishes and nurtures you. So we're 40 or 50 and we're still living out those, those traumas, those frozen parts that happen. They're fragmented. But even if you don't some miraculously, you know, somehow you got through and didn't get those, you live in a culture that is highly traumatized. Look at what's happened in the United States. Look at what's happening around the world, all the different places where, you know, so many places, there's genocide, there's bombing, there's people starving. It, we live in a sea of trauma that affects us. And if that's not enough, then we've got ancestral generational trauma that's been going on for thousands of years. Our ancestors had wars, they had climate change, they had famine, they had plagues, they had burning at the stake. They've, they've already, so on the one hand, that's awesome because we have the resiliency of our ancestors, which is a whole nother area we could talk about, why it's important to recognize and and acknowledge our ancestors because of those gifts, but also many of the things that when their nervous system shut down, they didn't deal with. And so that's been passed on. And so to go back to the meditation and someone sitting there and all of a sudden their leg starts twitching or they can't stay or there's, well, that's, that in effect is a good thing because you've made enough space within and around you that the nervous system says, I think I can let this part peek out a little bit. I think maybe this thing about Black Lives Matter, may, maybe I can lean up against it and, and really see what it means. Maybe this thing about inequality or social justice or um, the fact that you know, we have killed the native people, genocide, you know, these things all live in us. And in order to develop compassion, we need to 
unfreeze those parts and integrate them by loving them, by cultivating the, that caring. You know, I, I always say presencing, witnessing, and embracing. How can we embrace those parts? So not that we get rid of them, but though we integrate and then we deepen our caring and our ability to have real compassion for other people. Absolutely. And the temptation is to turn away from the difficulties, to yeah. turn away from the discomfort, to turn away from the places where we're confused, to justify. Mm -hmm. And what I found is fascinating is as, as we learn to witness ourselves and have compassion, we see those parts of ourselves acting out. Mm -hmm. yeah. And we don't have to follow them. We don't have to follow the, I have to be in control of everything. We're witnessing, oh, I really want to control everything. Hi, sweetheart. There's the part of me that wants to control everything. There's a part of me that wants to justify. There's a part of me that wants to defend. And then we're back at choice. And we can take that part of us that wants to defend, you know, especially in, in regards to so many of the things that are happening right now. There's so much of the shadow yeah. of the unconscious, of the trauma that we haven't looked at, especially as white people, that's coming up from the collective, mm -hmm. which is good. Now, I love this image of that when you really want healing, when you pray for healing, what you're doing is you're pouring water into the vessel of your being. And the same thing that happens when you're meditating, you're pouring water in mm -hmm. and there's all this unconscious gunk in our system and the water comes in. And of course the gunk starts rising. And we've got a lot of gunk rising collectively <laughs> right now, individually, yeah. it's all connected. And so the gunk rises and we want to push it down. We want to repress it. We want to make it somebody else's fault. We want to project it. You know, we try to project it onto others. We don't take responsibility for it. Um, th th we're so creative of what we do in our gunk maintenance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to, to really heal, to really come back into alignment with ourselves and life means let's let the gunk rise, mm -hmm. understanding it's on its way out. Yeah. It's on its way out. And how does it move? By being witnessed, by being held in love, by being held in a safe space of, of deep witnessing so that it can clear. And so often we're so yearning. We all, I think, are so yearning to be seen, to really see ourselves. You know, we don't really recognize that. We're like, I want someone else to see me, mm -hmm. which is lovely. But if you can't see yourself, if you can't really slow down and, and say, I want to be in an intimate relationship with myself and I'm willing to be in relationship. And relationship is, it's something, it's not like, yay, it's easy. It's you get to learn and you get to navigate. And it, that's how it is in relationship with ourselves. And when we make that commitment of, yes, I want to be intimate with myself, that means gunk is going to come up. Yeah. And it can also clear. And the more that it clears, the more that we find that grace to witness it, to integrate it, as you talk about so beautifully, to be in relationship with it in a new way, 
it shifts, it clears, it opens. And then we can be in relationship in the world where we can be steady and compassionate and loving. And when we're triggered, you know, I got triggered yesterday. We're doing a big <laughs> deep dive in my community right now um, with my team and with our leadership team around social justice, equity, race equity. And it's been really good. And I felt misunderstood yesterday around something. And I'm like watching, I'm like, look, I'm defending. This is so exciting because <laughs> I'm watching myself defend. And I know there's something there that's ready to be cleared. Yeah. Yay. And that's my prayer for everyone is that we get to this place that we're willing to turn towards the discomfort. We get excited, we get curious, we get open. And you have to enough, do enough cleaning in order to get to that space. Yeah. But then there's magic. There is magic. There's definitely magic. Well, let's, let's, let's look a little more at that place of, of cleaning. One of the things that came up to me was stress. And I'll tell you why that, that came up. A lot of people uh, call me for coaching, call, you know, want, I'm so stressed. I'm so overwhelmed. I cannot deal with all the things that are happening now. And, um, you know, stress is an interesting word because it really doesn't say anything. You know, I mean, there's a definition of it, but it's, it's, it, the definition doesn't mean it. It's like saying, I'm sick. Well, do you have a cold or stage four cancer? You know, it doesn't really say anything, but what really, when people say I'm so stressed, what are they saying? They're saying, they're talking about capacity. They're saying that my capacity to be with what's arising at this time is inadequate for me to meet it. So the question about stress and anxiety and all of that is not like, well, go have a drink or take a pill or, you know, something like that. It's, oh, I have stress. This is an opportunity, just like you said, for me to go in there and to look and see, what is it that's contracted in me that limits my capacity to be with what is, which is the issue? How can we be with what is, not with what should be? Most of what we do is we spend time with how it should be or how it shouldn't be, but not how it is. And so when I, and so meditation, contemplation, prayer, um, many different aspects of that. Um, I think singing, you know, there's many ways to do that, but we literally get more space. A more spacious interiority is possible so that those things that seem to stress us before are now um, like, oh yeah, that's happening. Like the bird flew by the window kind of thing. What is happening there? As we expand our capacity to hold more, we leave a contracted state to an expansive state. There's a stimulus, a trigger that happens that is a reminder of one of those frozen parts of ourselves that's been dissociated or suppressed through our nervous system. There's a whiff of that, we get triggered, all of a sudden the normal, you know, 50-year-old person running a company and very successful loses it completely because they hit that place in the shadow that gets triggered. 
But as you increase the capacity, then that's the stimulus. And between the stimulus and the response is what you're talking about, the choice. And the choice is, will I react or will I respond? Mostly we're living in reaction to all the situations that are happening. And we have not developed the capacity to respond from an embodied, clear witness place, a place of wholeness, because we have so much fragmented. So I'll stop there. <laughs> to get and the, the really the first step, and this is what one of the biggest gifts that I got from working with Don Miguel of so many, but one of, one of the biggest ones was just the first step to get to this place of resiliency inside of ourselves to expand our capacity is to stop judging ourselves for where we're at. Mm -hmm. So often we have stress, we have anxiety, and we're immediately, I shouldn't have stress, or I should be navigating this better, or I should be more loving, whatever it is. And when we can pause the judge, thank you, judge, so much for your opinion, appreciate it, mm -hmm. and ask that part of ourselves that's arising, hey, stress, what do you need? Yeah. What do you need? Hey, anxiety, what do you need? And the first answer, I, what I found in my life, the first answer is always like, I need this person to stop doing this. <laughs> I need this to be over. And that's not aligning with life. That's trying to control life. Mm. So when we can let that voice come up, like, I want this person to do this, or they shouldn't be like, all right, let that move. Because that's not your purview. And then to drop into the next level, which is what's, what do I need? Yeah. What's, what's really mine to do? What is my, how do I stretch my capacity? And I love what you said that it is, we're learning how to stretch our capacity. And I always think about it is that what we're learning how to do is open to the closure, open to the discomfort, open to the fear. And that that's a body thing that we learn. Yeah. So most of us are so uh, habituated to, there's something I don't like, I close to it. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. Ah. You can feel the shoulders round, the heart tighten, the, the jaw, I mean, I've been, my, my poor little jaw. Because <laughs> ah. I, I must be clenching my jaw when I'm sleeping right now, you know, election. I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let me come back into relationship with what is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so we can check the body to see how am I doing? Yeah. Am I closing? Am I tightening? Or am I opening to what is, opening to the fear? And opening doesn't mean everything's great. I feel loving. I'm compassionate. It's great. Sometimes you're opening to the anxiety. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's that opening to the anxiety, to the fear, to whatever's arising, where you're now aligning with life. This is what's arising. And we can then go beneath it to tap into our own resources because we all know what we need. Yeah. We yeah. have to get still. We have to get and, and still as, to find it. 
we know what we need at a body level. Yes. Yes. Not at a head level. You know, the thing you said about stop judging ourselves, or uh, you could also say stop judging others in the world. <laughs> Good luck with that because Good we're luck. pretty much judging machines. But I know when you're saying that, it is like, oh, when I can catch myself judging myself, I can go deeper into that shadow material and allow those fragmented parts to then integrate into myself. So sometimes I catch myself saying things to myself that I would get arrested to if I said them to somebody else, you know, on the street. <laughs> you know? Yeah, we're, like, we're more no. mean to ourselves than to anybody else. In our so, so brutal. But one of the things I love that you do, and I always just so appreciate it, how you say to yourself, it's okay, sweetheart, you just you just judged yourself, but that's okay. I love you to actually do that kind of self care for ourselves, which if we don't do that with ourselves, we certainly can't provide it for our family and our children and other people around us, particularly people that we don't agree with. And we you know, we uh, separate. I mean, this this thing about separation. So huge. Uh, it's, it's so much at the heart of this, not just the suffering, but the inability. The United States, is, uh, you know, I've never seen anything like the kind of divisiveness. Just it's, it's amazing. It's all over the world, but it's, yeah. It and is it, Yeah. You know, I've been reading, Michael, uh, after we did the shamanism summit, I started doing a deep dive into Native American ways of thinking and relating, especially in communities, mm -hmm. and reading about restorative justice. Mm -hmm. And there's a phenomenal um, judge up in Canada who started doing, started being brought into the Native communities to do law, to do the, the judging of particular criminal cases. And started to really listen to what the native elders and the communities were crafting of this idea of restorative justice. We mostly have punitive justice. You've made you you're bad. You've done something wrong. And you when you have a god, mm -hmm. a punishing god that's up there pointing at you. You know, in most Christian religion, whether you were raised in a Christian religion or not. Some like the fundamental is there's God that's judging you from up high mm -hmm. with a, that runs through a lot of that particular religion and many major religions. And, you know, like for me, for example, I wasn't raised Christian, but I have that part of me because it's part of the collective yeah. of like, I'm going to get in trouble. So this punitive justice piece is so familiar and the, in the native traditions and in indigenous cultures, when there was a problem with one person, it wasn't you're the perpetrator and you're the victim. It was, we have a problem in the community. Let's bring everybody in. And how do we restore justice here? And it was this beautiful problem. It's such an epic book because it was this judge going through his own Western mind to, to really unlearn. And there's so much that we need to unlearn. And I see that's what we're we're seeing in the United States right now, especially is that the divisiveness doesn't get better. It gets worse. And we're at this point now where families are being split apart. People have tremendous hatred. I mean, it's like the old feud between, you know, the McLeods and the whatever, like it's this, 
extreme that we've, and I'm, my prayer is that we've come to this extreme. We can go, all right, this is not sustainable. We have to figure a new way to do it. So this idea of, of bringing everybody together and really looking at what are the needs that all of us have. Yeah. That's so important. You so, remind me of a, a story that, uh, Louis Malmadrona, I don't know if you know Louis's work, but wonderful work. I highly recommend it, the Coyote series. Um, he's a Stanford grad, um, uh, PhD psychiatrist, but he's also a Lakota and, um, and he writes about, he, he's basically really into what stories do, but he had this one patient that got, he runs a clinic in a big hospital and, and he got this patient that was always getting into trouble and kind of juvenile and and so he gets gets sent by the authorities to come have to be you know go through psychiatric uh review and so uh lewis you know starts talking to him and the first thing he says is you're not going to help me doc nobody's ever you know been able to help me and you're not going to be any different than that you know and he says, okay and so he's talking to him and he says uh at the end of the session he says you know i'd love to get together with some of your friends and have them come and, and let's have a conversation together. So this guy was a really smart ass, you know, and he goes out and he doesn't have a lot of friends, but he gets 50 people that he knows. And the next week he comes back and they have to go into the waiting room, you know, of the hospital. Uh, and they've got 50 people and he gets in a circle and Lewis says, well, let's talk about John. So all of these people say different things about John and, and they kind of, you know, there's the law enforcement people, there's the priest, there's the, you know, neighbor, there's the, you know, all these different people come together. And so they have this meeting and then, well, the next week they, they decide we'll do it again the next week, but John doesn't show up, but the 50 people show up and they end up doing that for several months every week coming together and talking about John. And John gets better, but he never comes back to another, he totally transforms, but he never comes back to another meeting. But the law enforcement kind of got some empathy for him and the priest kind of recognized the reality of how he's being and the neighbor and they all kind of found this communal empathetic feeling. And like I said, he was in their nervous system then, even though he wasn't there. And so that healing took place. And I think uh, I'm really clear from the work that you and I do with groups that that's where the real opportunity is to get together in groups of people discussing these issues authentically, openly, in an embodied and emotional way, not in a head thing to fix anything, but to find, you said, community, common unity, to find common unity, and particularly in the people that we don't agree with. Absolutely. And it's, it's foreign in a lot of ways to how we've been trained. And we're in such a, a powerful place right now of getting to redo a paradigm. And there's, it, we're in a very patriarchal, very ju judgment-oriented, power-over paradigm, and we're in a shift. And anytime you shift from one paradigm to another, it's messy. 
And here we are, it's very messy. And we can look at it as this is a terrible thing. It's awful. It's, no, this is the worst of the worst. Or we can go, all right, here we are. Yeah. The mess is up on the table. And to bring that, I, I so believe what you shared is that they're, they've done, I've, I've seen this in my own life and scientists have now backed it up, which, you know, science is great for that. But that if you have a group of people that are saying that person's stupid, even if they don't say any language, but they hold energetically, that person's not smart, they're not doing well at their job, they're not succeeding, that person will get smaller and smaller and feel more and more that they're not doing their job. But if the same group of people is like, they've got this, they're doing it great, again, doesn't even have to be verbal, but holds that energetic, I see you, you're doing a really good job, the person will start to thrive. Yeah. So how do we do that? Even when there's people we don't like, even when there's people that we're, we would, that we really struggle with. And it's not about, you know, like not seeing the harm that they do. Yeah. It's about seeing the harm, but also realizing the harm is happening because there's been harm done. How do we bring the compassion in and make the boundaries that need to happen? So this isn't like, oh, I just have to love fully and I never have to make any boundaries and everything will be okay. Because sometimes you got to make boundaries. You have to say no, you have to take specific actions, but you can make the boundaries from a place of compassion and a place of love. And, and that I feel like is what we're learning how to stabilize in our being and in our nervous system is that, that deep care for each other and understand we're all out of balance and the way that we're going to get back into balance is by doing it together. Yeah. And that there's a, a, there's a lot of different ways of thinking and perceiving that. And when we let ourselves go, all right, let's go look at what the indigenous people have been up to. Yeah. Let's go look at other creative ways of navigating the world. We then start waking up that wisdom inside of us. And letting go of Western thinking and the model that we've been in is the only and best way. Because it's not. It's one way. Yeah. Yeah, so true. As you were talking earlier, I was thinking, yep, the shift has definitely hit the fan. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Here we are. I mean, I love it. People are like, I want a revolution. I want things to change. And now they're like, wait a minute, what's happening? This is not okay. I'm like, here we are. Doesn't look like you thought it looked like. And that's what aligning with life is. It's understanding that it ain't going to look like what we think. It's not all like bunnies and really pretty. And you no, know, we're all going to be holding hands and singing Kumbaya. It, it ain't going to look like that. No. There's conflict. There's hurt. There's trauma. And there's also joy. And so to hold all of it to hold all of it and to hold people with where they're at. And I think this is something that's really important as well is that sometimes we get frustrated or we're like, well, they shouldn't be where they're at. They should be in a different place. And that always is linked directly. I found to, I should be in a different place. And the more that I've really been like, this is where I'm at right now. I might want to be someplace else. You know, I might want to wish I had a PhD in this, whatever this thing is, but I'm in first grade right now. <laughs> and so let's be in first grade and learn and evolve and, and support myself from a first grade place. 
How do I get out of kindergarten? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just crawling in this area. And that you can have a PhD in one area and be in the first grade in another area. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think one of the skills, and we're getting towards the end of the time here, but I think one of the skills that we recognize as essential is listening. And I think it's important to recognize that mostly we don't. Perhaps we don't at all. Because if I'm listening, I'm often preparing my rebuttal. Okay, do I agree or do I not agree with you? Or I'm like, oh, you know, she reminds me of my aunt. My aunt died. What were you saying? You know, or we're distracted and, and thinking about what we need to, you know, there's just so many things that interrupt listening. And I have trained myself being with Gabrielle Roth for 40 years, you know, to listen with my body, not with my head. Learn to listen with your heart and your body. And that's one skill. And we got about two minutes left. And maybe you can name one more skill to add to that that you would recommend that we cultivate. Mm, I love that skill, listening with the body. And I'd say the other one is opening, Mm -hmm. which is directly connected to the listening of keep opening to what's happening now, period. Yeah, Yeah, that's beautiful. Heather Ashamara, my love, it is so good to be with you and to share you with all of our people that are listening to this show. It's just a, a delight. I hope we do it again really soon. Me too, Michael. It's always wonderful to to jump in with you and see what's going to come out. So (laughs) thank you for all the gifts that you share and for your beautiful heart. Mm, Thank you. Much love. We Earth Radio is an independently produced program supported by listeners like you. We are committed to bringing you leading-edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, conscious evolution, and spiritual fulfillment. If you would like to receive our complimentary newsletter, The Well of Light, make a contribution, or listen to any of our past shows, go to our website, welloflight.com. Thank you so much for your commitment to a world that works for all life.